Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and I'm reading from the NIV. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, Carolyn. Just before Josh comes and brings to us the ministry of God's Word, I wanted to take just a short period of time to invite all who are involved in this congregation who are participating in Kids Club this week, whether you are helping, teaching, leading, attending, cooking, coming along, just supporting, whatever you're doing, or if you've already contributed, if you've given food or if you've provided cans or craft stuff or you've helped set up or... Please stand. Thank you. I want to pray for you guys who are standing in a moment. If you kids are attending Kids Club, then yep, you can stand. For those of you who are sitting, you can be involved as well. You can be involved in a very difficult but a very important ministry. And you can support Kids Club this week every day by praying. So I want to commend and encourage you to do exactly that, that all of us are involved in this, whether you are physically parent, present or spiritually involved. Can we do that together as a church, as a congregation? Will you pray? You don't have to commit to pray every day, but just commit to pray as the Holy Spirit prompts you and nudges you. And I invite you now to pray with me for these guys that they will know God's blessing and anointing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, nothing happens in this world unless you speak and that your word is all-powerful. And so, Lord, I ask that you would use these guys who are standing in your presence, that you would use them in the ministry of your word this week, in every conversation, in every support role, in singing, in Bible stories and memory verses, in every way, Lord, send forth your word to achieve your purposes to grow the church of the Lord Jesus. May they know your presence and your power and your blessing. Lord, anoint them with your Holy Spirit. Protect them from the evil one and from his wanting to cause them to doubt or to second guess. Encourage them, strengthen them and use them, I pray. And may they have great joy in seeing you as the living God who is at work in them and through them. Lord, we thank you for them and we commit them to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
please be seated. God bless you and use you guys this week. And now would you please welcome Pastor Josh Ten for the ministry of the word. I thought I got out of the jungle, but now I'm back in the jungle. Just by words of introduction and kind of scripted this so that I don't go off track. Just want to begin this morning by personally thanking uh, all of you for being my church family over the past 23 years. As uh, many of you know, I've been, uh, my family began attending Sunnybank in 1996. Uh, even today, my parents still call this service home. Uh, over these years, I've gotten to know uh, many of you through many different ways. Uh, you've seen uh, the young, immature Josh grow up to be the older but still a bit immature Josh. Thank you for being my church family. Thank you for your support, your prayers, your encouragement, your fellowship in Jesus, even your constructive and maybe not so constructive criticism over the years. Also, my wife, Angela, she's not able to be here this morning uh, because she's actually song leading at Hertford Street. Uh, she sends her thanks too. Uh, she also grew up in this service. And just the fact that she's song leading over at Hertford Street this morning says how much she's grown too. SDBC will always have a place in our hearts and it will be a home for both Angela and I. Today, I also want to bring greetings. Whoops from Hertford Street Baptist Church. Now I know what the pastors keep complaining about. <laughs> Especially for the dual members, uh, those, are all of them who are transitioning over to become Hertford Street members. I also especially bring farewells from one of your own, Spencer and Michelle Felix, who have decided to continue on at Hertford Street. Over the past 15 years, uh, oops, not 15 years, I've only been there two and a half years. Today I also bring greetings from Hertford Street Baptist Church, especially um, want to thank uh, you on behalf of them uh, for partnering with us for the last three years. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, if you don't know who I am, don't know what this Hertford Street business is, uh, Sunnybank District Baptist Church has been partnering with a smaller church, Hertford Street Baptist Church, over in Mount Gravatt over the past three years. And today marks the completion of three years of this helping hand. And we at Hertford Street were very grateful for your partnership over these years, journeying with SDBC. It's kind of hard for us to contemplate being a, a medium big church, but Hertford Street was really seriously wondering and considering whether God was closing its doors in Upper Mount Gravatt. But thanks to God's work through this church, uh, we're continuing to proclaim Jesus and the saving message in the Upper Mount Gravatt community. Just want to give a quick summary of um, what's been happening over the past three years. Uh, here's some quick pics in some of the moments in the life of our church. Uh, on the top left, you see our first baptism happened two weeks ago. Praise God. Top right is our seniors morning tea. Uh, you see a couple of seniors uh, gathering together to continue to grow in God's word. The bottom left is our uh, church service, our church events, uh, much different to three years ago. Pews are more filled than before. And the bottom right, uh, you see a pic of me and our unofficial student. Uh, his name is Sam Hemming. He's a Bible college student in second year, uh, and he's at a pastor's conference last weekend. He's actually 
training with me as, uh, as he thinks about going into full-time gospel ministry. As this partnership comes to an end, here are some quick summaries. Of course, it's not all about numbers, but numbers do tell a story. And here's our Sunday average attendance. You can see 2016 with 25 people, 2017 as the partnership started, and a steady increase over the past two years. And if we kept the guys who went back to their overseas countries and went to other cities, uh, we would probably have around 50, 55, even 60. Here are some other summaries. 25 different newcomers coming through our doors in the past six months. It might not sound like a huge number, but for a church of 40, that is a huge number. We know at least one person who's accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior over the past two years, and possibly even more. Two baptized in our church community, one in our public service that we saw two weeks ago, and another one who was baptized in a private home about a year ago. We've seen 11 new members. We've seen 20 plus in our two new community groups or life groups. I think you call it connect groups now. That's over half the church when we include our seniors moiety, which is really a connect, connect the community group in disguise. We've seen four new deacons come up. Uh, we've, we've got 30 people serving in a 40, 45 person church. That's 70% of our attendees serving in some way, shape or form. Praise God for his work. But the work still goes on and we still have a long way to go as a church. On the screen are some of the things to pray in regards to especially our young families. Those are the numbers of the children age attendees. They're all not really regular at the moment. Please pray for more young families to come through our doors. Pray that we as a church will be equipped to cater for these young families so that we can show them the saving message of Jesus. Pray also in particular for patience. I think almost every second week I get asked, when are we starting a kids' ministry? When are we doing this? When are we doing that? We can achieve so much. We don't need to do it all straight away, but God has his plan in time. And as our partnership concludes or changes today, as a new season of life in Hertford Street and our partnership with Sunnybank approaches, I thought the Apostle Paul's prayer to the Philippians was very appropriate. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Thank you. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, you are a sovereign God. You enable seasons in life and ministry to start and finish working in and through them for our good and your glory. We pray for our churches, SDBC and HSBC, thanking you for the way you've used both these churches separately and together for your kingdom's work. Thanks for Sunnybank getting beside Hertford Street over the past three years. 
helping Hertford Street to be revitalized for your gospel witness. We pray that you use both these bodies of Christ as we move into the future so that lost people will find Jesus and dead people will come to life in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Give us open minds and hearts as now we come to your word. We ask that you grow us, shape us, rebuke us, encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now back to the past 15 years. Over the past 15 years, I've learned that just because you join a gym, it doesn't mean that change will happen. You see, over this period of time, 15 years, I've joined a gym membership at least six different times. <laughs> and while I've had good runs, I've had bad runs, and not so much running at all. But most of you have probably felt this too. Tried the gym or have a family member or friend who has a gym membership, but he never goes. She's waiting for that once a month guilt trip so that she can visit. Or he's waiting for that 12 month contract to end. You see, the proof is in the pudding, quite literally. That change isn't guaranteed. Just because you go to a gym doesn't mean that you'll change. And in a similar way, but so much bigger. Just because you go to church, it doesn't mean that you'll change either. But just like the gym, it's easy to get into this mindset too. It's easy to think, to think that since I made a commitment to God and I associate myself with a church, I might even go every week, I hang out with other church people, I might be even on the glorious members role. I might even serve here and there, give here and there. And this means that I've changed, that I'm somehow a Jesus follower, that I'm growing in Christ. One of the biggest challenges in the world today, in today's church, I think is that churches are becoming like living tombs. They're looking alive, but they're really dead because the gospel is not central, it's even forgotten. The saving message of Jesus isn't uniting the church. People aren't growing in Christ. That in fact, people don't want to grow. They don't want to see the word of God taught. And we, Sunnybank, we're not immune to this temptation. We need to be mindful of this. We see this at a church level. When we try to change but not too much happens, we see a lack of prayer. So our answer is to have a six-week series on prayer. We see a lack of serving, and then you see the announcements, volunteer drive, come and fill out this form. We see a lack of giving. So we point to our budget and we talk about giving. We do all of these things, but we see no change. And as individuals, you and me following Jesus might just be a list of things to do. We go to church, we serve, we're on that roster, we give. You try to do all of these things but it just feels like a chore, a tick in the box. You don't know why you should go, what drives you to go. And the pressures in life over time, they just end up gobbling up all your priorities. You might even struggle with what following Jesus even means. What has Jesus done? What's changed? Why bother change? What's the motivation for change? Well, today, as I farewell you all, Part of me leading up today, thinking about uh, this 
message, this sermon, wanted to show you all how I've changed, how I've grown, how SDBC has changed and developed me over the past years, and to wow you with what I've become. But God has a bit of humor. As I've been given a passage to teach, as you begin a three-week mini-series in Ephesians, actually about how God has changed us, about the offer that God has given to change us, about the change that follows of Jesus or to live in light of. It's a message that you've all undoubtedly heard before. But if you haven't, this is Christianity 101. It's gospel 101. It's the core saving message. It's a great day to listen in. But for most of you this morning, I want to remind you that this passage, these truths, they're foundational, they're core realities in following Jesus, trusting in Jesus, and living for Jesus. Don't let your commitment to God, whether you came to Jesus a year ago or a few decades ago, don't let your commitment to God become a gym membership commitment and nothing more. No change no influence, no living it out. My prayer for you this morning and as you go on into the future is for you to live in light of these realities of the gospel, that you want to be reminded continuously of life one in Christ and to see people, including yourselves, not just one to this place, SDBC, but to be one for Christ to be growing in Jesus, to be serving God for our entire lives, every aspect for our entire lives, from now until Jesus comes again, as God continues his work in transforming you and others into passionate followers of Jesus. That's what you're on about, making disciples for Jesus, not for SDBC, not for this place, but for Jesus. That's your mission working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. So we read Ephesians 2, verse 1 to... We read it before, Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. It's a really beautiful, famous passage. And the big idea of this passage is that God has saved the dead people. He's made dead people alive. And it's by his undeserved grace. And this salvation is one in Jesus. So today we're going to look and we're going to use this part of Ephesians to look at the change that God wants to see in your lives. Why change? What change? Who changes? And there's five things that I want to draw out about gospel change this morning. Change because the good news of Jesus has penetrated into time, space, history. And the first thing I want to draw out is that change is necessary. A couple weeks ago, I went uh, fishing with a mate at night. It's one of my new hobbies since I left Sunnybank. And I realized while we were getting ready to fish at night that my batteries in my headlamp were dead. And dead batteries, they're dead. No matter how much pressing you do, no matter how much taking the batteries out and putting in will do, they won't magically charge batteries. They don't charge themselves, but someone else has to plug them in to the charger and wait for them to charge up. And the first three verses of Ephesians, especially verse 1, tells us that all of mankind is dead too. Have a look if you have your Bibles. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, we weren't just a little astray. We didn't just need to try a little bit harder. We were goners. We were spiritually dead. We were on that highway to judgment and hell. And it's not just the bad people. It's all of humanity. We're dead because of our trespasses and sins. You see, to trespass is to take a false step, to deviate from the right path, or to cross a known boundary. And to sin, it's to miss the mark. It's to fall short of the standard. And this is humanity's state before God, falling short, deviating from the path, not in a right way with God. You could call humanity as rebels, rejecting God, on the opposing side to this creator king. Here Paul says humanity is dead. And he also says that we're also enslaved, verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Last week on Monday, I was passing through Sydney to get to a conference. And Sydney is a really touristy area. You get to see all these groups of tourists going around. And you see them, and they're being led by a guide who usually has a flag on a stick, and everyone who's part of that group looks at that flag and follows. And this is what it's like before coming to God, walking to the rhythm of the world, following the flag of Satan, the evil one, the prince of the power of the air. Just like all the tourists who follow the guide of the flag, we we're all following Satan. He says, live like this, fulfill your selfish desires, and all of humanity just follows on. So mankind is dead, enslaved, but poor, he keeps going. We're also condemned too, verse 3. Just like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Oops, I've broken this. I guess that's Daryl's one. You see, humanity was under God's judgment, God's righteous, objective, just judgment. We sinned. God hates evil and deals with it accordingly. So we are under God's divine condemnation. There's been a debate recently in church world about the idea of God's wrath. A denomination in the States, they even changed a phrase the wrath of God was satisfied in the famous song in Christ Alone. They changed it to something else because they just didn't like this idea of this angry, judging God. But we really need to know our plight before God. We need to know the reality of humanity, our desperate situation, to see the radical nature of the disease, that we're actually dead in our sins, to appreciate this radical remedy in the work of Jesus on the cross. You see, people in the church can be led to think that change just isn't necessary. That conversion is just like going to the gym. You remember, you probably attend, but there's no real change happening. 
But the first truth that we need to understand is that change is necessary. To see that we aren't just fine coasting along. We don't just join the church and we're okay. We need to see that we're actually in deep trouble. We're dead, enslaved, condemned. And we, you and I, we have to do business with God. As John Newton says, I am a great sinner. Our plight, our sin, it's serious stuff. And change needs to happen to get us out of this deadly predicament. So what sort of change needs to happen? How do we change? And who works this change? Well, the next three points looks at these questions. And these are important questions for us this morning. Because after seeing that change is needed, there's actually two wrong paths that people often move in. The first wrong path. People try to change themselves. You make resolutions to live the good, the moral life. But you forget that you're actually spiritually dead. You can't make yourself alive. And the second path are people, they've made a commitment, they acknowledge that change is needed, and you think uh, that you've converted, but you don't live any differently to before. You see, change is necessary. And the second truth in this passage is that God works the change. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. You see, God is the one who initiates. He's the one who acts in our helplessness because we're dead goners. We can't do it on our own. We can't change ourselves. It's God who loved us. And in his love, he saves us and he makes us alive. He changes our hearts from dark, dead, and damaged to free and living to serve God. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, if you've experienced this conversion, it wasn't because you said the magical formula or you lived a good enough life. It's because God has done a life-giving work in your life. He's the author of salvation. God works a change in us as we follow Jesus. And what's God done? Well, the third truth this morning, change is by the work of Christ. God acted, he's authored a work of salvation, and it centers on the work of Jesus on the cross. You see, Christless Christianity, it's a pretty big religion these days. People who love God, but don't have any space for the saving work of Jesus. People who know God, but they don't see how important the cross is. In recent stats in Australia, 59% of Aussies called themselves Christians. But only one in 29, less than 3.5% of Aussies could tell you about Jesus. But flipping through the Bible, and as we look at Ephesians, Jesus, he's in the thick of all the action of salvation. It's been like this since the beginning of this letter to the Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms of every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ, to Christ. You keep going down under Christ. 
in Christ. Jesus is the focus of it all. Look at verse 5 to 7. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, in these three verses, there's three things that God does. He made us alive. He raised us. And he seated us in the heavenly places. It's all an illustration of our spiritual condition from death to life, the changes that God works in us. And if you read these verses, they're all achieved in relation to Jesus. Made us alive with Christ. Raised us with him as Jesus was raised on the third day and seated us with him, in him. We have a seat in God's dinner table, a right and a restored relationship, being part of God's family. And it's because of Jesus in him. You see, change is affected by the work of Christ. Christ died, he rose to save us. And as we come into this relationship with God, we share in Christ's work. The technical phrase is union with Christ. Our sins are buried in his death and new life is given as Jesus rises into new resurrection life. The change that happens when we become part of God's family is achieved and worked in us by the work of Jesus on the cross. You see, it's impossible to know God but to put Jesus to the side, to be a Christian without centering on the cross. This might sound a bit impolite, but I can get away with it this morning. But we shouldn't go through a Sunday service without hearing about Jesus or singing the truths of how we're saved or praying in thanksgiving to salvation or being reminded by anyone, by people around you, of the hope we have in Christ. You see, without the cross, we're just dead ducks in the water gathering together. So does your Christianity center on Christ and his work? Is your conversion story, as you think about it, a story of coming to the foot of Jesus on the cross? Do your personal times of God include gratitude, thanksgiving for God saving you in Christ? And if someone walked up to you this morning, whether it be morning tea or lunch over at Sunnybank Hills, and asked you about how God has saved you from sin, what would you say? Could you answer? Because if not, then it's possible that you are on that road to Christless Christianity. And true change, Paul says, real conversion is only found in the work of Jesus. And as we farewell each other this morning, I want to remind, I want to underline, italics, and bold this truth. Only Jesus saves. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It is at that cross of Calvary that forgiveness is found once for all. You see, authentic Christian change is only through the work of Christ. But as we keep going, the question kind of remains. 
if God initiates and Jesus does all the work, then what about us? What do we do? What's our part in all this? Well, the Bible's idea of change is also mentioned here too. Verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, salvation is a gift. It's by grace. It's received through faith. Or in other words, repenting from your sin, which means doing a U-turn, a 180 in your life, turning away from your sins and turning to Christ, resting in Him, trusting Him, believing in Him. So God, He does all the heavy lifting in this conversion work. God, He's the one that calls us by acting in His love, by calling each one of us to Him through His Word. God, He's the one who works to change. He sent His Son. He authored salvation by the way of the cross. He calls each one of you to life by the work of His Spirit. But we have to do something. We must respond. And our role is to rest in Jesus, to trust Him, to believe Him. It's this contrast because it's a simple role. We do nothing. Jesus does all the heavy lifting. But it's a life-giving role, turning away from sins, turning to Jesus, surrendering our lives to the Lordship of Christ and resting in Him. Does that sound like your experience? Is this something that you know and you understand? Just because you're sitting here this morning or being here for years or decades doesn't mean that you're automatically converted. It doesn't mean that you're resting in Jesus. Maybe today you need to repent from your sins and turn to Jesus. Maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the second or the hundredth time, because for you it's been a long gone commitment and nothing more. You see, our part is to repent of our sins and to rest in Jesus. And the final point that I want to highlight today is that change is ongoing. It's not like that unused gym membership, that club you join but you never go to. Following Jesus is a commitment that continues to change you, to grow you, to direct you and influence your life. And verse 10 alludes to this too. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do or as the ESV rightly translates, to walk in. You see, the word walk, which is here in the Greek, is a Hebrew expression, actually. It's like our phrase, to walk the walk. It means to live it out, to show evidence, to let it impact your entire life, living in good works in response to grace. So following Jesus is not only a commitment to God, it's not just that one-time event with no implications. It's not that single conversation you had with God and that's all. It's not saying that formulate prayer to get in the door. It's not confessing, I believe in Jesus and that's it. But you see, following Jesus also looks forward to this ongoing radical life change. Continuing to turn away from your sins day by day 
and continuing to turn to Jesus, surrendering every word and deed under his lordship. Remember, for 59% of Aussies say that they're Christians by name. But the same stats say that only 7% are actively practicing their faith. That means about one in nine who label themselves Christians are people who are actively following Jesus, are striving for ongoing change, which are figures that if we read them, that should really shock us to take our trust in Jesus seriously. So if you're a Christian this morning, is this change ongoing for you? When's the last time you've identified sin in your life and turned away from it? When's the last time that you were saddened, grieved by your rejection of God or seeing the effects of sin in someone else's life? When's the last time you're an example for Jesus to someone? And getting to the heart of good works that God has prepared, which is about works that bring glory to God, works of winning humanity to God, and works of shining God's light into this dark world. When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When's the last time you told someone about life, one in Jesus? That without Jesus, these guys, your mates, your family, your friends, that they're dead sitting ducks. That Jesus is the only way to eternity with God. The National Church Life Survey stats show that only 41% of survey respondents that we did here as a church thought that converting people to faith in Jesus was important. Only 41% of Christian respondents. Friends, God saves us to share his gospel, to make disciples, to be salt and light for Jesus. John Owen says, be killing sin or it be killing you. John MacArthur says, grace brings salvation and then grace instructs us to deny ungodliness. Francis Chan says, we're told to go and make disciples, to share the good news of life from death, one in Jesus. But we often just sit and make excuses. You see, following Jesus isn't just about being part of the church. It isn't that one-time commitment. It actually forecasts and leads to ongoing change, radical change as you live out your trust in Jesus. So as we finish off this morning, we've seen that for a born-again follower of Jesus, change is necessary. We're dead goners in our sin. We can't change ourselves. So God, in his love, he works a change. And this change is by the work of Jesus, his saving death and his victorious rise again to new life. And our part is to repent and to rest in Jesus. And that's not the end because change is ongoing. You see, this is the basic Christian message. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the core beliefs. It's the unchanging truths over thousands of years. The only way to be alive and to enjoy life, to be part of God's family, to have a right and a real relationship with the creator and ruler God is through Jesus. So what that, does that mean for you? 
What does it mean for SDBC? Well, let me give you three different words as we finish off. Firstly, maybe you are spiritually dead, and this is the first time you've heard this. You've realized this. The pennies finally dropped for you. Well, don't just say, don't just say, I'm dead, but oh well, that's cool, what's for lunch? Because God, he tells you here how change is possible, that God made a way, and that way is by resting and trusting in Jesus, in his saving work on the cross. Maybe today is the day to trust in Jesus. Secondly, maybe you're a regular here. You've been here for months, years, decades, even a member serving, but you've never really owned this Jesus stuff. You look alive, but maybe you're spiritually dead still. Maybe you've never accepted God's change in your life. Maybe you've drifted away from Jesus over time, not resting in Christ, no ongoing change. And if someone asks you, how are you living day by day in Jesus? What good works are you doing for the cause of the gospel? You kind of fumble or you don't really have an answer. Well, maybe today's time to own that gym membership, to grapple with what following Jesus is all about. Instead of treating church like a social club or that place where you grew up or that avenue to fuel your ego and your pride, maybe you get serious about the change that God wants to see in your life. Heart change, life change. You see, life and death is at stake here. Maybe you need to talk to a pastor or an elder or a leader, find someone to read the Bible with, to talk about in regards to following Jesus, to keep you accountable in terms of your godliness as you live for him. Pick up the Bible, read about Jesus in the Gospels, join a connect group, and if all else fails, come to Hertford Street and we'll sort you out. <laughs> Finally, thirdly this morning, maybe this morning finds you alive in Christ. Close to God, you're growing in strength to strength. Remember that gospel change is ongoing. So don't let your foot off the pedal. Don't ever get that sense that you've finally arrived. Don't start drifting away. You see, if change is ongoing, you should be waking up every morning expecting to do good works for God, whether it's growing more like Christ or telling others about Jesus. Wake up every morning saying, God, thanks for saving me from death to life in Jesus. Thanks for saving me from death to life in Jesus. What good works can I do for the cause of Jesus today? So friends, my SDBC family, as we close, as we say our farewells, I hope you really do remember me a year or a decade from now. But if you walk away with anything else, remember this, God has saved us in Jesus. Life from death, hope from hopelessness. And my prayer is that SDBC, you guys will be on about real change, real gospel change, real life change in Jesus. And not just one week and one ministry as we see this happening, it's great, but we want to see this every week, all ministries, both inside and outside the church, reaching our suburb, our city, and our nation. 
There are tens of thousands of people around us that need to hear the gospel in this area alone. Tens of thousands. We shouldn't be satisfied with what we have here this morning. We need to make sure that we're not sucked in to distractions, that we're not sucked into past success, a false sense of glory, stubborn practices. We do it because that's what we do. Comfort and coziness, internal bickering, pointless and godless division, or just plain Aussie laziness. And we need to focus on this new life that's one in Christ. Remember, life and death is at stake, friends, as we work with God in transforming people to become passionate foes of Jesus. That's what you're on about. And I pray that you will be going to this end. Let's pray as we finish off. Heavenly Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That you acted in our helplessness and you authored our plan of salvation in the cross of Jesus. That you call us to repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus, resting in his saving work. Help us, Lord, to take your work in our lives seriously. That we would understand our reality as dead sinners that we would marvel at the cross of Jesus as a means of our salvation, that we would turn away from our sins and trust in Jesus, living for him day by day. We pray that you would help this life-giving message to be front and centre of our lives and both our churches. We pray these things for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.